created live on Fireside. Welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, the Fireside chat about U.S. higher education, the news and the stories of campus life. I'm Dr. Laura DeVoe, a 30-year higher education veteran who has dedicated her life to college students. Over those years, I celebrated underdogs who won championships, I ate more pizza than a human being should ingest in a lifetime, and I shook the hands of graduates as they grabbed hold of that hard-earned diploma on the first day of the rest of their lives. And that's why I'm here. You see, there are lived experiences, there are stories, there are moments that students have on campus that prepare them for life. I wanna connect with these people and those who helped them along the way and hear how campus life brought their real life purpose. There are so many stories on campus and that's why I hope you'll stay to listen, contribute and become part of the community. So join me for Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, only here on Fireside Chat. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is Wednesday. It's our usual day for Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Um, We're starting a little late today because I had to have a COVID test. So you know what? It's part of our reality. So I had to do a drive-in COVID test. Shout out to the Walgreens in West Roxbury, Massachusetts for an outstanding experience. (laughs) Okay. So today our show topic is college completion rates continue to dip and the pandemic impact is making things worse. Uh, The pool of traditional age college students continues to decline. Uh, Can transfer students and the proper service of this population provide enrollment and completion boosts for campuses while providing students with the degrees that they need to achieve their goals? Well, that's today's question. And today on Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe, we're joined by Ms. Lindsay Powers, an authority in transfer student services. Uh, Lindsay found herself in transfer work in the fall of 2016 when she graduated with her undergraduate degree from Murray State University in the spring of 2016 and thought she wanted to work in orientation until she found the world of transfer student support. Lindsay is passionate about helping college students find where they need to be and what they need to be doing to be successful. And sometimes transferring is just part of that story. Lindsay is an advocate for transfer work at every level from transferring credits to student involvement transfer needs to part of, uh, needs to be part of the discussion. She's currently a transfer enrollment coordinator at Middle Tennessee State University and is constantly seeking ways to serve transfer students in Tennessee. She is ecstatic to talk about her love and tran- about transfer students. And I want to thank Lindsay for being here. Lindsay and I worked together years ago for a summer. She was a summer uh, intern for me at Mount Ida College in, um, it was 2016. And uh, she was what we called a NODA intern. So that's National Orientation Directors Association, NODA. And she was outstanding that summer, worked with us on our orientation. Lindsay, welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited to have this conversation with you today. 
I am thrilled to be here. And so for those of you in the audience right now, um, if you want to be part of the conversation, this is Fireside Chat. You know what to do. You can request to come on, come on up on stage um, and uh, ask a question. Um, but let's get started. Oh, the other thing, don't forget here on Fireside, you can always broadcast the uh, uh the stream of the live stream to the world by hitting the uh, the hamburger in the lower left hand corner, uh, the little uh, black dot. Hit that. Hit broadcast to the world, and you can share the link to your Twitter, your uh, Facebook, your LinkedIn, however you want to do that. So don't forget to do that. Um, so Lindsay, to start out, um, I'd like to give uh, I always like to give the guest an opportunity to give me and the audience an idea of what brought them to the work that they're currently doing. We had some information in your uh, intro, but um, why are you doing this and why do you think it is contributing to uh, higher education, both institutionally uh, at your institution uh, at, at Middle Tennessee State and nationally broadly, how do you think transfer student support is really contributing to higher ed? Yeah, so um, my answer is going to kind of relate back to the, the topic of the conversation. But uh, when I found myself in the transfer world of work in 2016, um, I really found out that there was so much room for growth. Um, for years, higher ed is more focused on the recruitment of a freshman class, the success of our first-time freshmen. Um, but what are we doing to support those students who are coming to us from the community college or from another four-year institution? So mm -hmm. um, when I was an undergrad, I worked in orientation and helped all these new students. And um, I remember our orientation years ago when I was an undergrad, there was a transfer one going on and a freshman one going on at the same time, but they were separated. And right. um, that always felt weird to me. I mean, new students are new students. So mm -hmm. um, I was very passionate about making sure that those students got those same resources. So when I left Mount Ida, um, I was I went back to my alma mater, Murray State, and uh, thought about being a freshman recruiter or doing the transfer work and uh, wanted to try something new. So that kind of brought me to where I am today. Um, at MTSU, I'm working as a transfer enrollment coordinator, which is really fun. So I get to help students, transfer students very specifically, um, figure out how their credits are going to transfer, what's going to you know, help them to get to MTSU, give them all the tools and necessary things that they need um, to feel successful and feel like they're just as, as important as that freshman class. So leading back to, you know, your, your initial question, how are transfers going to um, change the numbers in enrollment with, you know, enrollment declining across the country? Um, I think we can find that in transfers if we do it right. Um, and it's navigating to figure out what that looks like for each institution, um, figuring out what resources and what ways we can better serve transfer students, whether that's through scholarships. So um, I love this line of work because it's constantly asking questions like that, um, comparing and looking and researching and digging to see um, how we can better serve this population, not only at my institution, but I think across the board. I think that the way you're really, I hear you speaking about this particular population and the opportunities that this, uh, that this population not only brings to the institution, 
um, but also what the institution brings to the population, right? And oh, absolutely. You have this, uh, I can tell by your tone that you see the promise of this population. Uh, one of the things that we were talking about in the green room before we started was uh, about Tennessee and how Tennessee serves uh, the, their community college, uh, enrolled, uh, folks. Can you talk to folks a little bit about that? You, as you said, Tennessee is in the news a lot right now because unfortunately because of COVID spikes, but, um, and so people are thinking that one thing about them, but, um, what do we maybe not know about how they're serving their, uh, their students as far as community college students? Right. So we're in the news because of COVID and then educationally we're in the news because of <laughs> the banning of their critical race theory, which is probably a whole other podcast you might yes. want to have. A whole other day of, of topics. But uh, yeah, so Tennessee, though they're, uh, I don't want to say terrible at, you know, what they're deciding to teach their students, but mm -hmm. for high school students who are graduating, they can go to uh, community college for their first two years for free. It's called the Tennessee Promise. Um, and there's uh, the, all the schools and community colleges in Tennessee are um, their governing bodies called the Tennessee Board of Regents. And so that body's helping students kind of figure out what schools and what pathways that they need to take. Um, so Tennessee's done a couple of really great things. That one, the Tennessee Promise Scholarship, all of their courses, for the most part, are titled the same, which we can see that as an issue in other states um, with, with the transferring. Titles are the same. So an English class is an English class. English one is English one at another school instead of, you know, having them titled differently. Um, so Tennessee really takes a pride in their transfer students. We have a lot of transfer students because of that agreement. We're making college more affordable um, and more accessible, I think. Um, Tennessee has a lot of rural areas, right? So we're able to kind of reach and network with more students um, because of that Tennessee Promise Scholarship. Um, Tennessee also has a lot of other scholarships available to students who are high achieving um, on the transfer front and on the freshman front. So it's refreshing to work here because there is a lot of people at work to um, watch our students be successful after high school, right, and beyond. So it's really refreshing to know that they can go, do two years, save money, and then be ready for this next experience. That's great. Um, and I appreciate that. And I know that, you know, your governor, I think it's Bill Lee, right? Um, yeah. And, you know, you've got a, a Republican, uh, very controlled state right now. Um, and but there is a there is the Tennessee promise and there is an opportunity here. And, you know, continuing to fight the good fight in terms of what people are learning in the classroom is quite important. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that idea of transferring from community college to uh, a four-year institution is what I want to talk about next. There, there is a lot of misconceptions of what a transfer student looks like. Okay, um, you know, I'm of a certain age, and I will also say I think some of these misconceptions uh, do come from uh, where people land in terms of the age, uh, generational ages. Okay, um, and so some folks my age and and older are going to get this idea that transfer students are lost or seeking something or just haven't figured it out yet, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I wonder if these misconceptions are hurtful 
um, to uh, the mental uh, transition that students may be experiencing and um, how the students are serving them. So in other words, you know, if a student is hearing, well, you know, my son is a little lost, so he's going to be transferring. He's not quite sure what he wants to do. Um, my daughter didn't really do that well. And so we think transferring is better for her. When you hear those kind of misconceptions or those ways that people kind of prompt the reasoning for transfer, uh, do you think that that impedes their success? And if so, how, how does that kind of manifest in terms of what you see on the ground? Wow, that, that is an amazing question. And I'm sitting here like, why have I never even asked myself that? Um, but I think that it's something that I work with and deal with every day. I've just never put it so beautifully as you just did. Um, I work with a lot of adult students as well. Right. Um, sometimes I'm working with a student and their parent um, yeah. because they're coming back to school. So I'm constantly trying to kind of, cr I'm punching my hand, if you can hear a slap, right. <laughs> um, punching those misconceptions because we have so many adult learners in the classroom. College mm -hmm. isn't what it looked like. Um, gosh, I graduated from high school in 2012 and it doesn't like, it doesn't look like what it used to, right? So it doesn't look like when our parents went to school. It's it's so different. It's such a blended classroom where colleges are really trying to do the inclusion and diversity thing and do it well. And so mm -hmm. you're seeing adult learners in the classroom because they're going back. They want to get that raise or they want to get that promotion or, hey, they just want to be educated and, and ready to go in the right. workforce. And so right. that's a big one that I'm trying and that I work every day to um, kind of stomp on or like I said, I was punching my hand. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great way to put it with our younger traditional transfer students. Um, their parents are like, well, they didn't really know where they were going or what they wanted to do. So they went to community college. And as soon as they say that, I'm like, no, that's actually a really smart first step. Right. You probably saved money. You yeah. were probably specific in the classes that you were taking mm -hmm. so that they're going to have a better transfer rate of going mm -hmm. to the right school. And so um, it's kind of making sure that in those conversations that we get to have face to face in our marketing and what we're telling students, right? We're, and I'm very passionate about the marketing piece because we've got to market in a way that makes them sound like, you know, this is the perfect next step for you. And, and it's a successful first step. You didn't take a step back by going to community college. It was just the first step in your leap pad to what your career was going to look like, right. your academic career, I should say. So um, yeah, it's constantly just kind of changing the shift in conversation with parents in, in, a, in the best way possible. And sometimes students are saying that about themselves, ex, right. you know, especially adult learners. Well, when they're talking about, well, I've been out of it for a while. I don't want to look different in the classroom. And every time I say, you're going to be surprised by either having people your same age in the classroom mm -hmm. or people that are older than you in the classroom and are ready to go back to learn. Right. So yeah. there's a lot of that flying around and, yeah. Um, it's my job to kind of help change that rhetoric, I guess is the way to put it. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that you're bringing up here, and I think that people need to really expand their mindset of what does the, the transfer student actually look like, right? Um, Absolutely. So, you know, someone who uh, may have, say, started college, had to take a step out years ago because they had to start a family or um, take care of an ailing parent or something of that nature. Um, and then, you know, time just got out of the way and circumstances got out of the way. And now they're finding their way in and they say, you know what, I need to get that promotion at work. And to get that promotion at work, I need to get a college degree. So now technically I'm a transfer student. I'm going to keep going. 
um, folks who come out at the traditional age um, out of high school um, and then decide, you know what, we're going to do a year or two in community college. Um, that is a, another population that you serve. Um, and as you said, Lindsay, and I really want to reinforce this, is that that is actually, to me, if you have an 18 or 19-year-old person who successfully gets through two years of community college without a stop, without a stop out, without having to repeat classes, with a really strong transfer credit situation, that is probably one of the most successful things you can actually do to get yourself aligned for the next four, uh, next two years to get that four-year degree. Um, and that is a person who has a propensity to, because unlike a college where you wait window and go, oh shit, I really should get up and go to class. You've got to get in a car or, or on a subway and find your way across town to get to that class. And it is super important to understand is that, that if, if you have a young person who has succeeded in one or two years of community college and then is finding their way in, in a transfer situation to a four-year residential, that is a student who is, who is actually, I think, positioned for success, uh, potentially better than someone who's leaving high school and is just being told, you need to go to college. Yes, What, what are your absolutely. thoughts on, on my, my, think, my little soapbox there? Oh, girl, I am ready to talk. So I'm like <laughs> one to give you a round of applause. So I think that um, everything you said hits the nail on the head. So I was taking, jotting down some notes. So these students who are successfully completing those first two years, they're going to receive more scholarships. They're going to be involved with honor society at the community college. There's ways to get involved. So when they're coming in, they're ready to hit the ground running. And that's one thing that we see. We want transfer students on campus to be proud that they're transfer students. But we see that those students are so easily just digging into campus, whether it's with Greek life or chess club or the coffee club or becoming a, you know, a, a tour guide, they're ready to go. Um, and it's because they've taken that time to invest in themselves and they're successful in our classes and their retention rates are better. Their grades are better. And so I think now, you know, our advisors are starting to see that though transfer students and bringing in that credit work can be um, sometimes working out their schedule might be a little bit tougher, but their students are more successful in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're ready to go. So in the classes too, Dr. DeVoe are the same. Right. So they're it, math at MTSU and math at um, like another community college are going to be the exact same curriculum because that's what we're looking for when we're bringing in a class. We're looking for the same syllabus, the same information. So you're not getting, I think that's one of the stigmas, right? Is you're not getting a degraded um, course or curriculum because you chose to go to the community college it's a state thing. The classes has to be the same right. or have to be the same. So, um, so absolutely to what you're saying. I think that their, their retention rates are higher. They're, they're ready to rock and roll as soon as they step foot in that door. Um, so, yeah. And, and I think that that's actually something we need to, to, you know, I'm always looking at some of the challenges we have across higher ed and saying, why aren't we being more intentional about solutions? Right. Right. And, we know that young men, for instance, uh, traditional age college men 
are not graduating on time um, and uh, suffer harder than uh, than a traditional age woman uh, enrolling in college. Um, they are more likely uh, to not make it through in the six-year graduation cycle. And I, and I bring this up with regularity on the show where um, there's folks who are not higher ed professionals who listen and they go, whoa, whoa, hold up a second. Six years? You know, what does, isn't it supposed to be four years? And you go, yes, that's what you budget for. You budget for four years because that's the four-year degree, right? But we are, as an institution and as, um, as, as the academy, higher ed, is evaluated and we are accredited based on a six-year graduation rate. And when you look at this and you say, well, well, okay, what else does that impact? Well, that impacts our student debt. So a student's in school for five years, for six years, they're gonna owe more money, okay? Because maybe they're repeating a class, maybe they had to take a stop out, maybe they no longer now get the kind of aid package that they once got. And so where can community college, for instance, be a solution to some of this student loan debt crisis and finding a way for young people uh, or I, not even young people, anyone looking for that four-year degree to say, okay, if I'm on my own, if I'm an adult learner, I got no parents, I got no extra income, how am I going to make this happen? Well, can community college be part of the equation to not only get me that four-year degree, but get it done in a way that's, that's the most affordable? Why do you think that we don't get on that bandwagon more as a field? Why don't we make that part of our overall discussion points? I have my answer, but I'd like to know what your thoughts are, Lindley. You're asking all the right questions. I'm like, <laughs> I have that fire in my chest. I don't know. I, I think it's such a great point. I think um, there's still those stigmas like we were talking about. But yeah, financial aid at the community college is going to look different. Mm -hmm. um, there's also more specific scholarships for community college students um, than there are sometimes for, you know, a, a typical first time freshman. Right. Um, so I think that the whole conversation on, you know, what financial aid looks like, I think, and I'll own this, recruiters like myself, we're not incredibly educated in what financial aid looks like mm -hmm. as a whole. Mm -hmm. Financial aid comes off as scary and untouchable. Um, and I think that we've got to like, higher ed professionals have to get more comfortable with that conversation um, before we can um, better educate our students, right? right? So a conversation that I have a lot is I'll have um, a traditional age student come in and they're like, hey, I'm, I, I deal with a lot of different students. That's also the beauty of my job. Um, adult learners to students who are still in high school and know that they want to go to community college first. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. um, for this example, I'm going to use, um, I have a student who's been to a multiple different schools. They were maybe studying um, marketing, but now they want to be a nurse, but they have two kids now. Um, the beauty of being a transfer recruiter is that I can say, hey, you know what? There's a community college that's right down the street for you from you that has a fully programmed RN to BSN program mm -hmm. that once you get your RN, you can get a job. And then that job might even help you pay for right. going back and getting your, your BSN. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I said mm -hmm. RN to BSN. I meant, um, 
to get a, an RN and then you can do a specifically made RN to BSN program for you. Right. Now I get really lucky when I get to have those conversations because they're probably not having a lot of people tell them that because it's right. an honest conversation, right. right? We're taught to bring people to your campus and get them here whatever way. But the beauty of my job is that I can kind of help those students navigate what's going to work best for them. Mm -hmm. I don't want to put them in a situation that is going to not save them money or to keep them away from their kids. I mean, I just can't do that. And so um, I think it, it, it comes from that financial aid piece when we're, when we're going in and talking to high school students about what their options are, if we're not bringing up that the community college is a route that you can be successful on, we're doing them a disservice. Yes. Um, and I don't think it's a conversation that's happening. Um, and it should be. Yeah, it really should I, be. I absolutely agree with you. And I, I, I posed a question to Lindsay. And for those of you who are uh, just getting here, thank you for being here. This is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. It's our weekly conversation about news and trends in higher education. We are here with Lindsay Powers. Um, Lindsay is an expert on transfer student uh, support. Um, she's from Middle Tennessee State University um, and uh, just a fabulous uh, person. And I love how she calls me ma'am. And uh, you know, so we'll go there. <laughs> it's been um, uh, it, it beat into me since I moved to Tennessee. Okay. It's, a, it's a new thing I have. So. It's okay. It's okay. I, I'm okay with it. Um, and, you know, from the, from the obnoxious uh, New Yorker, I, I absolutely agree with this. But uh, so one of the things that we're talking about today is obviously transfer student, transfer students for support. And uh, one of the things that I asked Lindsay right before a wonderful answer was about like why we are not using transferring from community college to four-year residential institution as a way to kind of combat student loan debt. Um, and and I, I think my opinion here is that um, it just doesn't fit our narrative. I think um, in higher education, we don't want to think you're going to two institutions. We want to say you enrolled at a place for four years and that is your alma mater and that is your forever space. And um, that transfer piece is not part of our narrative, which I think is, is uh, actually not a great way to look at things. Life has changed. Um, higher education can be more transactional uh, for folks. Um, and when I talk about transactional, what I mean by that is there are people who just want the damn piece of paper to hang on their wall to show their employer to say, now can I get that promotion? Now can I get that increase in my salary? Um, or they're just, you know, there's somebody who's a working parent, a single parent who is like, I don't have time for all of the zhuzh that happens on a college campus. I don't need to go to football games more than maybe once a year. I don't can want to uh, belong to a club or organization. I don't have that. I need a. I need this to be transactional. Um, there's a lot of reasons for transaction versus a sense of affinity and belonging on a college campus. Uh, and and there is not one way to get a degree anymore. And I think uh, we need to expand our narrative so that we can actually get people done in four to four and a half years. To me, that would be our ultimate goal, because I think one of those things that would happen there is you are actually going to reduce your college loan debt and we would be doing a service to our, our learners uh, in a way that is actually getting them that piece of paper. It is getting them into the workforce with the degrees that they need. Um, and potentially right now with uh, some of the real uh, worker shortage, trained worker shortage, um, we may be able to find our way into that space 
um, to get people from the tra- from the community college into the four-year residential in a way to say, shit, we got to get people out into the workforce right now who have the right degrees and certifications, whether it be in healthcare, whether it be in uh, climate uh, science, whether it be in green jobs. Um, there's a lot of ways out there that we could be doing a better job there. Um, I, I want to switch over uh, to the next question. And, and I want to ask this uh, in this, you know, I was just talking about finishing. Um, according to the Community College Resource Center, only 25% of those who start at a community college end up transferring to a four-year, res- four-year institution. And EAB gives us this statistic, about 4 million community college students intend to transfer to four-year institutions, but don't. Do we have a public relations or public perception problem here, Lindsay, especially when community colleges are assessed on uh, completion rates and, you know, this idea that, you know, if kids don't finish, if learners, I shouldn't call them kids, if learners don't finish, um, does that hurt the community college? Does that hurt the four-year? What are your thoughts on that stat? It's a good statistic, um, and I think it's it's a truthful one. I think when I think of it as a recruiter, of when we're going in and asking them when their intent, what their intent is, it's in their first year experience class right. at the community college. Right. So a lot can change in two years. Mm-hmm. So these people or these students, while they're in their two-year program, might think, well you know what, I can, I can leave this two-year associate's degree and I can get a job because like you were saying, higher education is becoming more transactional. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's our job. How are we coming transactional with the affinity, right? Right. So a lot of schools are hesitant to change to this mindset, Mm -hmm. but it's what's going to create more um, successful transfer numbers and completion um, with online programs and becoming more workforce centered. That's what students want. They want to get to work. And so, um, yeah, I think that number is low and it's kind of scary as a, you know, someone in the transfer world. But Mm -hmm. um, I think that it it all stems back to we're still trying to combat this um, perception that, you know, community college to to transfer isn't really what needs to be done. Um, and you had said to, um, I was writing down some notes while you were chatting. Cause again, you so beautifully said it, but, um, their schools are not wanting this to be their narrative, right. Of going to two institutions, but a lot of schools have it set up to where transfer is, um, a seamless process. That's what they're promoting. Um, right. and they have these two plus two programs set up, but, we're not marketing it and acting like it's as big as what our freshman class needs to be doing. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. are, is it stemming down from a marketing standpoint from, from institutions just across the state, across the country that we're not accurately promoting that transfer can happen. So right. maybe that's the issue. I think right. there's a lot of different components at play. And I, I do think, you know, a lot of things can happen in two years and I would be interested to see what the retention rates are for students at four-year institutions at the two-year mark as well. Yep. No, and I, and I think that, that it actually boils down in some ways to how we're communicating at the high school level. And then also how, uh, for those who are non-traditional age learners, how are we connecting with them, excuse me, as they are trying to decide 
what am I going to do here? Right. Um, And you shouldn't have to go looking for this option. I think ultimately, no matter what state you're in, and and I know there's a lot of states out there that have um, a, a two plus two program here in Massachusetts, we do, but you have to really go look for it. It's not something that's put out there right in front of you um, as an, as a front and center option. And I think it's important um, that we kind of realign what, uh, how the communication happens. And I think uh, ultimately that can be uh, part of how we package it. Um, we just have to be intentional about it. Right. Um, and it goes back to what you were saying about the narrative, right? Like we have to kind of change if we want more transfer students, if that's going to be the way that we build our enrollment, mm-hmm. we've got to change what we're looking for within our narrative. Yes. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Um, You are here at uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Um, I am Dr. Laura DeVoe. I'm here with Lindsay Powers. We are talking about transfer students. Um, And uh, as with uh, always on Fireside, you can uh, ask to come on up and ask a question. You can react uh, to what uh, wonderful and brilliant words are coming out of Lindsay's mouth. Um, and you can also choose by clicking on uh, the hamburger in the lower left-hand corner, the, the black dot. Um, you can click on that and choose to broadcast the live stream uh, to your social media platforms of choice. So thank you for being here. Um, I want to tease a couple of the shows we have coming up. Uh, next week, we have uh, Joel Quintong coming in from Iona. University in uh, New York. Uh, He's going to talk about recruitment and job search uh, from an institutional perspective. There's a lot of searching happening right now to fill positions. Um, I think it'll be a great conversation. Joel has a strong background in recruiting, um, always impressive, and I look forward to that conversation. On the flip side, the following week on the 22nd, we will be having a panel of distinguished former higher education professionals, uh, folks who have all left the field um, and uh, at various points and for various reasons. And so we will be having that show. And then uh, finally, uh, to close out the month of September, we are having a little watch party. Um, Me and a few folks are going to be discussing the Netflix show, The Chair. Um, And if you have not watched it, uh, please do so. It's going to be a a lively conversation. um, And uh, we will be discussing The Chair on Wednesday, the 29th. Um, And so I hope to see you all there. Uh, Lindsay, uh, you know, you talked earlier today about the types of students that you work with, that they're not all the same type of, of uh, learner. You've got folks who come out uh, from uh, high school. You've got folks who are transitioning as, as older learners. Um, I want to think about the preparedness of folks. Um, and so when you're looking at the services that happen um, and the kind of how, how well students are transitioning, from uh, their previous institution to Middle Tennessee. Uh, Are you seeing a difference in preparedness uh, for each of these different types of students? Um, And uh, how how are you kind of grappling with that as you are working to uh, support these different types of students? Sure. Great question um, and a very important one in this conversation. I think that as we're working with these students, you've um, really got to take into effect and look at their story as a whole. Um, look at what institutions they've been th- been to. Um, typically, 
are students who are adult learners have been to more than one institution. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at it um, not in what they did from the get-go, but if they don't meet our um, admission standards, we do a holistic committee review. So they're reviewed with a personal statement and we're looking at everything um, holistically, which I really like, um, mm-hmm. because we're hearing their story and, and hearing about what they've done over time. Um, because sometimes they've, they have close to 120 credit hours, which is a bachelor's degree. Um, but they just haven't gotten it at the right time. Right. Um, then with our incoming traditional students, um, they're kind of just, um, stealth shopping. They get admitted. They are applying to all these schools, just like our first time freshmen are. And, um, they, they're working really closely with their community college advisors, um, who work closely with us. Um, and then their, their credits are transferring in and it's a much more beautifully seamless process, Mm. um, than with some of our adult learners. And I think the cool thing that, you know, we try to do is, is get in and get and work with those advisors. You know, it's important for us to have relationships with them. That way they know what we're doing and they can kind of hand them off to us when it comes time for them to, you know, transfer in. So, um, I think it's very important just as a higher ed professional meeting students with where they're at, um, working to not judge them from, from what they've experienced or where their GPA is and, Mm -hmm. and helping them kind of navigate. So if they don't get admitted to MTSU, giving them a direction, um, saying, Hey, this, you can go back to your community college. You can, um, come to us in, in the next year after you work towards this. And I think, um, it's having open and honest conversations with students, which can be really hard to have, but I think students from what I've experienced respect that and appreciate that mm-hmm. um, rather than just being kind of left in the dark on, on what their next steps look like. Right. So we really try to integrate in and every, in every step of the process with, you know, if they're applying or if they're just at the community college and show some interest, we're really trying to step in and kind of work with them from the get go. Now that, that population, like I said, that traditional student transfer student population is quiet um, where our adult students can be a little bit louder because they're ready to ask those questions. They, they know that they can advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they typically are in our office once or once or twice a month, making sure that everything is lined up. So they are kind of self-sufficient and taking care of themselves, but they are still a population that I wish we could reach um, just like we can the traditional students because they're doing more of that hybrid learning um, mm-hmm. where traditional mm-hmm. students are being traditional on their community college campus. So um, it's, it's probably my favorite conversation right now to have and one I'm having currently in my office of, okay, we've got adult learners and we've got these traditional. How are we meeting both in all the things that we're doing? Right. Um, so it's, it's an important conversation to have, but I'll be honest, I haven't figured it out yet because <laughs> I think it's, it's, a, it's a constant movement. Well, we also, we deal with the human condition. That's one of the things I always say about people in higher ed is that we're dealing with people who are people, right? Right. And uh, they are dealing with their various issues at their homes, in their lives. And we can't just assume that any program we put into play is going to uh, be universally accepted uh, across the board. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that your, uh, kind of compartmentalization of the, of the two broader groups, your adult learners, uh, your non-traditional aged learners and your traditional age learners is, is, 
is very appropriate in that, you know, the folks who are a little older um, have, uh, you know, more, more wear on the tires, so to speak, um, don't have time to monkey around right? They are like, look, right. I want to know that I have the right, what are the classes I need to take in the order in which I need to take them? And I want this information now and I want to be able to stick to it. And, you know, I've seen it when an adult learner can't get into one of those classes and that maybe the class is capped out or there aren't enough sections of the class and that, that puts them into a tailspin and they don't have time for that. And so that's actually something that uh, I think is important is that people need to understand is that people's emotional kind of readiness in terms of where they're at, in terms of uh, what might be a, a speed bump along the way is going to be different uh, for an older learner versus a younger learner who says, well, I have time, I can always take that class another time. Um, and but then on the other side is a, a student who is a uh, younger, a more traditional age student um, may not be as resilient, may not be as accustomed to uh, some of the other setbacks um, that may come to them. They also may not be as comfortable with uh, how they learn. Um, an adult learner has had a long time to really kind of get comfortable with what kind of learner they are. Um, and a, uh, a younger uh, person may not be uh, as as malleable, so to speak, uh, as far as their learning techniques are concerned. Um, and they may be uh, very used to how they learned in high school, which is a very different in, uh, situation than it is in a university environment. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of things that, that you, as someone who is... Um, working with folks in that transition have to have to manage. Um, you know, I, I want to uh, ask this question, though, that one of the things that I think each of these communities has in common is about the transfer credits and the loss of credits along the way. And I, I found this stat from the uh, government, according to the government accountability uh, average, on average, students lose an estimated 43% of their credits when they transfer. And that number like literally made my jaw hit the table. What do you think contributes to this loss in credits? Is it where they started, where they finished in the transfer relationship between the institutions? What do you see? And what, when you saw that, that stat point, what are your thoughts on that? Um, my jaw dropped too. Yeah. <laughs> I think for a lot of reasons. I mean, I have a lot of questions for the data. Mm -hmm. um, is how many students changed their major? Were they in an accredited program? Um, where is this pulling from? Because we, like in the state of Tennessee, we have places, and I'm sure every state has this, um, it's called the Tennessee Center for Applied Technology. Mm -hmm. And so I just saw a program come in today on desktop technician. Well, that yeah. credit's not going to transfer because it's not accredited. Yep. So students really have to be while they're in their program. And that's why it's so important for us to be integrated with a community college. Mm -hmm. um, this is kind of a side note, but I think it's very important is that for our community colleges that are in our backyard, doing dual marketing mm -hmm. to where students know that um, like our closest one to MTSU is called Motlow State, that Motlow State and MTSU work very closely together. Yeah. And so students know to start asking those questions about how those classes are going to transfer. Now, we also have a website that shows every class that's ever transferred to MTSU from those schools. Um, it's a right. database for us. So 
I think students have to kind of be after that information Mm -hmm. to make sure they're taking the right classes. Now, I tell students all the time, if you're majoring in dinosaurs at your community college and you want to come to MTSU and major in photography, well, that's not really going to line up. We're going to take as much credit as we can and do course substitutions and and things along those lines. And and I think our advisors have to be a little bit more proactive in in helping students and and how we're using their credits. Now, I think what's come of that um, in the past few years is, you know, with this high percentage of losing credits, we're starting to find more students um, interested in um, our integrated studies program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm and our prior learning assessments. And so colleges have to get on board with doing those. That way we can help our students instead of saying, no, you took all your classes in dinosaurs. It's just not going to work. Well, how can we make it work? We have to start asking ourselves that because it's so important. I mean, students spent money, Dr. DeVoe. Students, you know, they um, are in debt because of the dinosaurs classes that they Mm -hmm. took. Now, I've never seen a dinosaurs class, but that's just always my (laughs) example. Um, but we've got to start making sure that that percentage doesn't go up because, yeah, that's that's a freaky number. Right. Um, well, but I, I think, think there's so many things that play into it. Yeah. I, when I saw that number and then uh, this week, actually, I think it came out yesterday. Uh, nope. I'm sorry. It was came out on the third. I just pulled up the article in higher ed dive. Um, every morning I read from higher ed dive. I read from the Chronicle of higher ed and I read from inside higher ed. And there was an article on the the 3rd of September, five charts showing how transfer enrollment fell last year. Um, And transfer enrollment slid 8.4% from the year before. Um, Now, one of the areas it went up is highly selective colleges saw huge gains in upward transfers. Year over year enrollment change in upward transfers uh, by institution type is is outlined in this. And it was the transfer population increased 10.3% in the same year, okay? I actually think that some of why we are seeing that 40 some odd percent uh, data point of what's not transferring are when you put students in this moving that that highly selective colleges with upward transfers, they're not taking your classes from your community right. college or even from those the, the place that was a, a step or two down in the rankings, right? There, if you're going to a more aspirational place and you're doing a big jump, they're not taking those credits. Um, and I and I am not surprised that you're seeing this leap in the last uh, year because schools were hemorrhaging money last year from the from the pandemic, and they were dipping into their wait lists from the year prior and saying, "Hey." Megan, are you interested in coming to X school? Saw you had wanted to come here before. We got a spot for you now. And now Megan said, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going. But that means that her her credits aren't transferring. I think that's that's a piece of it. Um, I think there's also a piece of it that is just what you said earlier, Lindsay, is that people are not paying attention to what's gonna what's going to transfer. And uh, you, you got to be more intentional about that. You have to say, if you're going to do this kind of cadre of classes in your first year or two years, um, and then move on to your state flagship or one of your mid-sized state institutions, this is what's going to happen. And, and going to that idea of, I really, really, really wish 
that states would be super intentional about doing exactly what you just outlined happens in Tennessee, which is if I start at this community college, I go on to the next uh, four-year institution, I know that these credits have transferred in the past and that there is a there is a gateway. I would also like to turn it up a notch and say, if you enroll in these specific programs at the community college or you take this kind of uh, track of classes, so you could even have a track for the student who is undecided about what they want to take and what they want to eventually major in, well, if you take one year or a year and a half worth of these core classes, these will transfer to the majority of our uh, programs without any stop in your, in your progression. That I think is a better way to position it rather than say to somebody, yeah, you, you can just pick your own classes and figure it out. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think the, the, what you were just saying, my, my thought in my head was um, four-year institutions have to be better about the data that they're pulling for their students mm. and, and figuring out the way to market it. So, hey, we've seen these students come in with this many credit and here's how, here's how, how well it was plugged into the degrees at our institution. Um, and I think Oh, I, I lost my thought, but yeah, I think everything <laughs> you just said was, was, I was just sitting here like nodding my head, like, man, it's, it's so true. I it think. Reminds you of being um, in my actual office, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But you had so many fun, exciting things on your desk just to, I think yeah. I remember you had like, uh, like a boa maybe. Yes. I uh, did. Your office was so fun. Yeah. <laughs> My office is now at Absorbed home, and, it, all. and it, I have uh, I have a, a lot of Funkos on my desk, including a nine-inch tall, n- notorious Big, uh, the uh, Biggie, Biggie, uh, staring at me here on my desk. So I always have. I to love that. Desk. I've got a Funko Pop David sh- uh, shit. So oh, there you go. I'm, uh, I have the whole shit creek. <laughs> the whole shit oh, creek. I love it. It's something about higher education and shit creek, right? right? It's, right? It, it reminds you of what it. you want the campus to be like, right? Um, Absolutely. So we've spent some time right now talking. We've spent some time talking about things where we could do better. As you think about uh, what are some best practices out there, where, where are you seeing some of your colleagues and yourself? What innovation is happening and uh, what is happening that's really kind of getting you jazzed about how folks are, trans- are, are um, serving our transfer student population? Um, I'm getting, and I just said this as something we have to do better, but I think it's something that is already happening, um, is the way that we're looking at transfer data. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm excited that schools are starting to pay more attention to it. Um, I'm excited that schools are, um, implementing new programs, um, that are best for non-traditional learners and for transfer students. And there's funding popping up for students in those programs. And I think we're really starting, we're on the right page. We're on the right path um, in the marketing sense as well. And I think, um, you know, as, as I'm looking at what I'm doing personally, I think being more integrated into schools. I mean, COVID was really hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think everybody, it's like a silly statement to even make because it wasn't just hard. It was awful yeah. um, for everybody's livelihood, but also just on educating students about their next steps. And so I think there's the thing of Zoom fatigue, but I also think, you know, how can we use what we learn? Everybody has this rush to get back to normal 
um, and I'll say this till I'm blue in the face, but what did we learn from COVID that was actually really good about meeting students where they're at? I mean, we could hop on a Zoom call at 8 p.m. and that was perfect because they just got off of their night shift or, um, you know, what, what, are, what can we bring with us into whatever this new normal looked like that we learned during this pandemic? Right. Um, and I think that um, we're, we're on the right track, but we've, we've got to keep starting to or keep starting, keep doing and all the things, bringing up transfer students when we have the chance, because they're going to be so crucial to our enrollment um, and, and our enrollment growth within our institutions. Right. No, I, I, I like what you're saying there. And, and I, um, I know we have a member of our audience. Um, Megan is one of our uh, other creators here on Fireside. I see her in the audience and she does a, a whole show on study abroad uh, or on travel, excuse me, on travel. And, and she had me on at one point to talk about study abroad and students studying abroad. Um, do you have, I know I'm putting you on the spot here because I know who's in Please. the audience, but are, are you seeing any interesting things being done for students who are transfer students who may have never had that kind of abroad experience? Um, I mentioned when I was on Megan's uh, show that that traditional study abroad experience or what that stereotypical experience where folks uh, think, oh, it's a, it's a whole semester or a summer or a whole year. Um, we actually uh, are seeing an uptick in programs that are uh, short-term programs. So you go for 10 days um, or you go for, say, uh, just for the spring break trip or something like that. Uh, have you seen anything that's specifically targeting transfer students? And if not, why don't you do that? <laughs> hey, uh, listen, <laughs> I, when I was uh, previously at Murray State, uh, my alma mater, I would have hopped on any abroad trip that they would have let me go on. But I think this goes back to, and Megan, feel free to hop up on the stage, but um, I think this goes back to when transfer students get to campus, our traditional age transfer students, they are just getting in with the campus culture. They're getting involved and they're doing their thing. Mm -hmm. So I think that if I get a, tra a transfer student in front of me and they say, hey, I'm interested in studying abroad, I send them to the study abroad office because, and I think this might be kind of what you were leaning towards, a lot of those programs are built around just taking general education classes, mm -hmm. which might be what they took at the community college level. Right. But there are so many programs out there that don't even require you to take a class. You can just hop on and go and get extra, like, extra credit. Yeah. That's not it. But just to get some credit, if that's something that you're passionate, passionate about and you want to do, go and do it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I think it would be amazing to do a transfer study abroad trip. Right. That would be awesome. Yep. You should, you should look at that, Lindsay, and I won't even I'm, take any credit. Okay. Yeah. I won't even, <laughs> I won't, uh, I won't put you on it. Um, so it, we're coming up at the top of the hour and, um, I wanted to close out the, 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 uh, part of the show with our this last question for those who might be uh listening who work in higher ed um but don't work in a transfer services office uh how can they be more intentional uh about playing a role in transfer student success yeah i think that not thinking of your campus uh, or in your campus involvement or your advising as one one service to reach all students i think you have to be innovative and in thinking of different ways to reach all of your students and connect with all of your students 
um, I, I hope to think of my, I hope that I'm am this way is that when I walk into a room, I ask about, Hey, what are you doing to serve your transfer students? And I think we all have to have that mindset because at MTSU, um, 53% of our campus body is, was a, is, or was a transfer student. So we have to be mindful that our students aren't all looking the same or needing the same things. And so, um, holding focus groups and inviting transfer students and asking your offices to pull data of, hey, what's our retention rate for transfer students? How can you um, crush the stigma and make sure that you are connected and involved with what's actually happening on your campus? That's not just for transfer. I think looking at it as a whole um, and, and asking those questions, what are the data points that you need to prove to the, the person above you in your office? Hey, you know, X, X amount of transfer students um, are getting 4.0s in all of their classes. Like, mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. huge. What can we do to celebrate these students in our program? Right. Um, I think just asking about transfers and, and being intentional in how you're serving those students is really important. There's so much more data these days, or not data, I'm sorry, research these days mm -hmm. um, being done on transfer students from advising to credits to involvement. Um, NISTS, the National Institute for the Study of Transfer Students, their website is fabulous. Um, I go there probably once a week just to read and learn a little bit about what's happening within transfer. Um, but it's still kind of that realm where you have to stick your neck out to learn a little bit about it. And I would just ask that, you know, others do that and, and get as involved um, in caring as possible for those students. Because like you said, we've got to, uh, to break that narrative of, of what college might look like. Love that. So I love that, that you bring up data and research uh, so consistently. And I would like to say that, uh, you know, this is a two-way street. And so one of the things that happens if you are listening and you work with transfer students um, and you are trying to get buy-in from other departments on your, on your campus, use data as a way to get that buy-in. Uh, requesting data from your institutional research folks, requesting data from uh, other departments where you think it would be a good uh, linkage, um, or as you just said, Lindsay, sharing that data. Say, hey, you know what? We got the data on uh, how our students are doing in terms of completion rates or uh, how much student debt that they're graduating with as far as our uh, transfer students. Uh, let's talk about that. What are some solutions that we can do? How can we be more intentional? Um, and that's a great way to build those relationships on campus. That's a great way to kind of leverage your departments. Um, and I, I think that you've, you are hitting the, the nail right on the head there, Lindsay. So I am really thrilled uh, to have had the last uh, hour with you. Um, and uh, it's just so nice to reconnect with you uh, after several, several years away. Um, and um, so if people want to find you on the internet, uh, you have indicated that LinkedIn is the best place. Um, and if you go to LinkedIn and you look for Lindsay Caroline, um, so it's L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E. Um, so if you go to linkedin.com and do a search for Lindsay Caroline, uh, that will be uh, how to connect with you. Lindsay, it was a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the space to, again, talk about transfer students. Uh, um, you so beautifully took, I heard on a podcast the other day, my word salad and made it into <laughs> everything I wanted to get across. So it was an honor really to 
sit and listen with you and, and chat about all things transfer. So thank you for giving me the time and the space to do it. Well, you are on my list um, and you will be hearing back from me, I'm sure, in the future to come on back to the show. And if you have anything you ever want to suggest or a speaker or anything like that, you know how to find me. Um, and so thank you for being here uh, at the office hours with Dr. DeVoe. Uh, we will be back next Wednesday at our usual time, 12 o'clock, unless I need to get yet another COVID test. Um, <laughs> but hopefully not. Um, so next Wednesday, we'll be back here at noon uh, with our guest, Joel Kintong from uh, I. Iona University, where we're going to be talking about recruitment and, and job search for from an institutional perspective. Um, and uh, finally, uh, if you are a higher education professional or someone who cares about higher ed, please make sure to spend each week here with uh, Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. My office door is always open to you. And let's make uh, learning and being part of uh, a learning community here together, right here on Fireside Chat the future of storytelling. Thank you and have a wonderful day, everybody.